last Monday, apparently, uh, climate activists uh, broke into a uh, Catholic religious centre in Saint Pierre de Colombier. I don't know where that is. I assume in France. Uh, and they were protesting about the effect this centre was having on the environment. Uh, apparently, the centre is being built on the habitat of some uh, protected plant species. And the activists wanted to protest its destruction by doing some destruction of their own. Um, the nuns at the centre, however, were having none of it. And they formed a human chain to prevent the activists gaining access. One of them uh, even rugby tackled one of the activists to the ground. I've seen the footage. <laughs> she really does. And afterwards, one of the activists said, I didn't expect that. I expected the nuns to be more reasonable. The problem is that the religious people decided to resort to violence. Now, uh, needless to say, uh, we in this church would have important and significant disagreements uh, with what Catholics believe. However, uh, the attitude of that man, that activist, illustrates the attitude that many have towards Christians in general. Uh, they expect Christians to be nice. Uh, and sometimes uh, Christians can feel the weight and the pressure to be seen as nice people. Uh, and if we say no to some request for help, perhaps a financial need or some other material needs, we can be accused sometimes of being unchristlike or of being unchristian. Um, but the truth is, for many, uh, others being nice just is another way of saying that they want people to do whatever they want them to do. Uh, our proverb today, Proverbs chapter 22, this is 26 to 27, amongst other things, teaches us that it's not always good to be nice, uh, to appear nice in the eyes of others. And that sometimes appearing nice and kind and generous can cause more harm than good. Uh, so turn to me to this proverb. It's, again, Proverbs 22. Chapter 22, verses 26 and 27. Let me read those verses again. Uh, the wise man says, Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Now, there's a few uh, perhaps unusual words in that proverb. Uh, what does it mean? What is being said here? Well, shaking hands simply means coming to an agreement with someone. Uh, we can all understand that concept, can't we? Uh, when you perhaps sign a contract, or perhaps even physically shake hands with someone, you're coming to an agreement about something. Uh, a pledge 
that is referred to here, is the agreement itself. Uh, it's normally demonstrated by uh, providing a deposit or collateral. Um, myself and Bethany went punting just last week, and uh, before we paid, I had to give my driving license to the owners of the company. Uh, and that was a deposit so that if I didn't come back with a boat, if I ran off with it, they would still have my driving license. And the hope was that that would be a big enough incentive to come back and pay what I owed. Uh, that was the deposit. That was the pledge that I would pay in the end. Uh, it's something that you would forfeit if you don't. Uh, a surety, which is mentioned here in verse 26, is a guarantor. Uh, it's someone who guarantees that an agreement will be honoured. Let's make it a bit simpler. Imagine a situation like this. And uh, before I give examples like this, don't quote me as a, uh, a source of business knowledge or financial knowledge. I am not that person. So if I get anything wrong, you can um, correct me later. Uh, but imagine a friend or family member uh, comes to you and they want to start a business. And... To start this business, they need a loan of £50,000. But the bank won't give them the loan unless someone reliable co-signs with them. And so they ask you to co-sign the agreement so that the bank will give the £50,000. Now, by co-signing that agreement, you make yourself a surety. Uh, you make yourself guarantor. In other words, if the other person defaults, if the other person cannot pay back the loan, then the burden of the debt falls upon you because you've co-signed the agreement. If they can't pay, you have to pay. The pledge is your signature on the document. Uh, it is what makes you the surety that you will pay the loan if it needs to be paid. And you've shaken hands with the person who has taken out the loan and with those who are giving the loan in the first place. That's the kind of thing that this proverb is speaking about. And I hope that makes it clearer. And our proverb says, don't do it. Don't get into an agreement like that. Don't do it because... If the other person fails to pay what they owe and the whole burden falls on you, what if you're not able to pay it? Can you fulfill the debt that you are potentially committing yourself to? Are you gambling the welfare of all the people who depend upon you on a risky venture? The warning here, again, amongst, as I said, amongst other things, is warning us about being nice and helping someone at the expense of prudence, at the expense of wisdom. But you, perhaps you might say this morning, well, that's quite a specific instance. It's quite possible that many of us, if not all of us, won't ever be in a situation like that. Uh, but the principle applies in other ways as well. Um, it is possible for us to pledge our time uh, and our energy 
uh, to things that may cause other people to suffer. Uh, Other people who we have a greater responsibility to. Uh, For example, uh, a friend uh, or an organization even can demand a lot of our time and a lot of our energy and a lot of our money And that might cause us to neglect other people who we have a greater responsibility to. Uh, How many fathers, for example, have neglected their families for the sake of their career? Uh, They want to get higher. They want to get the promotion. Uh, They have a hunger for their own, um, like as I say, the furtherance of their career. And those who they're responsible to suffer as a result. They are, as it were, gambling on the welfare of their families on a risky venture. The motivation might be good, but the damage is just the same. Uh, Jesus warned, didn't he, about the danger of committing to build a tower before you've counted the cost of whether you can actually complete it. Uh, Can you afford all the materials? Uh, Have you got everything you need to accomplish what you intend? Because if you don't, it will end in disaster and ridicule, because you'll have half a tower which remains uncompleted. That's the sort of thing which is being spoken of in this proverb. So to summarise and to make this uh, as simple as possible and hopefully to apply it to each of us in our individual lives, uh, the Bible teaches that there are two dangerous attitudes we can have in our dealings with other people. All of us have to deal with other people. If you're going to live life, if you're going to be a useful member of society anyway, you're going to have to deal with other people. And we can have two unhealthy attitudes in the way we deal with people. Uh, One unhealthy attitude is to be selfish and stingy, uh, only concerned about our own interests. But the other dangerous attitude is to be rash and reckless, uh, to be more concerned about pleasing other people in the moment than we are about doing what is actually best for everyone in the long term. Uh, There are many proverbs which warn us about the dangers of being miserly and stingy. Let me just read a few. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 28, verse 20 says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Proverbs 11.26 says, If people curse, sorry, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. And lastly, Proverbs 23, verse 6 to 8 says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For he, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up. And waste your pleasant words. All these words speak of the foolishness of being stingy, being a skinflint, being miserly, 
and not being generous with the good gifts God has given to us. That's one danger, being selfish and stingy. But that's not the focus of this proverb, chapter 22, verse 26, 27. The focus of this proverb is on the other danger of being rash and being reckless with our time and with our resources. I'm sure we all know people who just cannot say no. Do you know anyone like that? Perhaps you're like that yourself. And people ask for help and you feel this overwhelming burden to say yes. And you might even view it as a good thing. I'm just so helpful. I'm just so kind-hearted, soft-hearted, generous-hearted. But actually, that attitude can be a liability. And more often than not, it shows a person who is desperate to please. Someone who desperately wants other people to like them. And so they're scared to say no in case that person thinks badly of them. So it's not really necessarily at bottom a kind heart. It might just be pride disguised as love. We want people to think well of us. And so we say yes when we should say no. And we have the humiliation later, or the devastation later, of not being able to fulfill what we have promised. Uh, Perhaps we just like the buzz of feeling like we're a generous person. I'm sure we all know people who are very quick to say they'll help and they'll promise all sorts of things. They'll promise the world, but their promises are clouds without water. The rain never actually comes. The promised thing doesn't materialize. They wanted to appear generous, but they weren't. This proverb is warning us about the danger of being rash and reckless with our words and with our resources. Uh, The key question we must always ask when someone asks us for help, when someone asks us for something, when someone asks us for a favour, we must ask ourselves, can we afford it if the worst should happen? Uh, That's even what the proverb itself says. You notice, it says, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, pledge, one of those who is a surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? The proverb is essentially saying, uh, if you can afford it, if 50,000 pounds is loose change for you, I don't know if anyone is the case here, but if it is, and if you think the venture is worthwhile, then go for it. Give the money, make, sign the agreements because you can afford if it should go wrong. But if not, beware because you and other people will suffer from your so-called generosity which you cannot fulfill in the end. And this applies in small situations as well. Uh, Perhaps someone wants to borrow a book. We must ask ourselves, can we afford to lend that book if they, are to, if they were to damage it or lose it uh, or destroy it? 
can we afford the loss of that book? Now, obviously, most of the time, we can. A book generally isn't particularly valuable, and most of the time, we can safely lend such things and suffer the consequences if the other person isn't reliable. But what about gardening equipment? Uh, What about your car? What about your house, even? Uh, We can sometimes give these things to people for their use. And this proverb is teaching us we must be wise how we do it. Can we afford it if it all went pear-shaped, if it all went wrong? That isn't selfishness. That is wisdom. That is prudence. It's not merely thinking of ourselves. It's thinking about all those we are responsible for as well. As the stakes get higher, we need to assess whether we can afford it if the worst should happen. And we have a classic example of someone in the Old Testament who did not do this. A fairly obscure character, but you may have heard of him. Uh, Jephthah. Do you remember Jephthah? He was one of the judges of Israel. You can read about him in the book of Judges. And he had a war, a battle uh, to fight with the Ammonites. And he was so desperate to win that he made a vow to God. And he said to God, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me on my safe return from the Ammonites, it shall be the Lord's and shall be offered by me as a burnt offering. Uh, Jephthah, in that sense, makes an agreement. He, as it were, shakes hands with God, if I can put it that way. And he says to God, if you give me safe return from the battle with the Ammonites, if you give me the victory, then whatever comes out of my house, I will give to you as an offering. Now, in his mind, he was thinking of some sort of animal. Uh, In Israel in those days, they would keep animals within the house uh, on occasion. And he was thinking some animal would come out of the door. But tragically, it wasn't an animal which came out through the door. It was his own daughter. His daughter was the first out the door. And after he came back victorious, he realized the stupidity of his words and the vow he had made. Now, there's an argument for another day whether uh, Jephthah actually offered her as a balance offering or whether she simply had to uh, go uh, into a, a sort of life of seclusion. That's a question for another day. But the point still remains. Jephthah made a rash vow. He spoke before thinking. He was, in a sort of sense, generous without fully counting the cost of what his words meant. And the Bible repeatedly warns against this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 2 to 6 says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, 
nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity, but fear God. We must count the cost before we speak. We must count the cost before we come into any agreement with another person. It may be that we count the cost, and it is right that we go into the agreement, but never before counting that cost first. But let me just give one final warning and instruction uh, this morning. Uh, I've said there that we must always count the cost before we come to an agreement with another person. But the truth is, we are often very bad judges of what we truly can or can't afford, aren't we? Uh, There are often times when we think we can't afford something, when in reality we can. It's our selfishness and our greed talking, not true wisdom. Uh, other people as well can think they can help. They, with the best of intentions, think they can uh, make the agreement, but they can't, in all good wisdom. Uh, we need help. We need help to count the cost in almost any situation. And did you notice what that last verse said, which I read? In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7, it says, In the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity, but fear God. That's the key to rightly counting the cost. Not simply relying on our own assessment, because we can be greedy, we can be foolish. Truly counting the cost comes by listening to what God says and putting him first. We have all sorts of dreams, all sorts of desires which can manipulate us and lead us down the wrong path. But if we listen to him, then we'll know the straight path. And we know, of course, who we can look to specifically. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was never stingy or selfish, but neither was he rash or reckless. Jesus perfectly walked that path of generosity and wisdom. But how? He did it because his first concern was doing what his father said and not what other people wanted. Let me say that again. He did it because his first concern was doing what his father wanted, not what other people wanted. If you put man first, you're going to be swayed to and fro by everyone else's opinion. You'll be swayed to and fro by your own opinion. If you put God first, you will know the right path. You won't say no when you should say yes. And if honouring God is your first priority, you won't say yes when you should say no. 
Jesus served others best because he served his father first. Uh, If you read the Gospels, there are occasions when Jesus says no to people because what they wanted from him was not in line with what God wanted. There are occasions when he said yes because what they wanted was in line with what God wanted. Uh, Jesus was the most generous and least selfish person in history. Uh, I don't know what you've given up for others, but Jesus gave up heaven. All the comfort, all the joy, all the warmth of heaven to come to this cold, dark world. Not only did he come to this world, it says he became a servant. Uh, He washed his disciples' feet. And not only did he become a servant, he died on the cross. And on the cross, he took our punishment on himself so that anyone who trusts in him can be saved he truly was the least selfish person in history yet he understood what was being asked of him he didn't make a rash decision do you remember how he sweat drops of blood in gethsemane he knew what the cost was he knew what he had to face. But he said to God, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. And he walked that path of wisdom and generosity. And that is wonderful news uh, to end on. Uh, because I don't know uh, all your situations this morning, but it may be that you have been rash and reckless in the past. Uh, perhaps you have Uh, debts now or you have difficult circumstances that you are in because of your recklessness and your rashness if that is you take heart because there is hope there is hope because jesus wasn't rash and he wasn't reckless Uh, jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for all our sin all our rashness, all our selfishness, all our recklessness. So whatever mistakes you've made in the past, that's not the end. You can run to him and he can give you forgiveness and he can give you the help and support that you need going forward. Run to him and you will not regret it. That is the best message that we can take from this proverb this morning. But we'll close and leave it there and finish with our final hymn. And our final hymn is number 820. And it's a hymn which teaches us to look up. Uh, To again, not look around us at the opinions and thoughts of others around us or even of our own opinions. But to look up and see Christ and to seek to please him above all. It's number 820. When this passing world is done... When has sunk yon radiant sun? When I stand with Christ on high, looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. So we'll close by singing number 820.